Our first reading is from the prophet Joel, the second chapter. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and let the bride leave her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And our gospel reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Jesus is speaking. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door. And pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father, 
who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are three questions that I'd like to consider with you this Ash Wednesday evening as we prepare ourselves to receive the ashes and set out on the road to Easter. The first question is this, what time is it? Some of you just looked at your watches, that's not what I mean. What time is it? Every fall, when our church school, church, when our school year schedule of church programs is getting started up again, the Children in Worship program features a, a story called How the Church Tells Time. In this story, the children are introduced or reminded to the big picture of the church calendar, the Christian year, and especially of its two big cycles of anticipation and celebration, the cycle of Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany, when we wait for and rejoice at God's extravagant generosity in becoming one of us for our sake and for the sake of all creation, and the cycle of Lent, Easter, and Pentecost, when we wait for and rejoice at God's extravagant generosity in taking the place of judgment and death that is rightly ours, and rising again, pulling us into new life for our sake and the sake of all creation. I was reminded of the parallels between those two big cycles of the church year when I opened our reading from the prophet Joel. Think back with me to the beginning of this church year, the first Sunday in Advent. Maybe you remember Pastor Roger's sermon that day. Let me remind you, here was the setup. In preparing for Christmas, it would seem gentle and wise to have some quiet contemplation, some candles, some gentle choral music. But John the Baptizer, whose words we heard from Luke's gospel on that first Sunday of Advent, was having none of that. Just when we wanted comfort, silence, candles, and choirs, John was blaring on about sin and repentance. He insisted, God is turning toward you, and that fills you with fear for all the messes you've made. The ax is already laid at the foot of the tree. But don't run away. It's not too late to join in God's purposes rather than continuing to resist them. The dried up tree that's in danger of being cut down can still produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And now, at the beginning of the Lent and Easter cycle, we're right back there again with the prophet Joel. Joel says, sound the alarm. The day of the Lord is coming and it is coming with judgment but it is still not too late. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart. This turning is not primarily about saving our own skin, escaping in the nick 
nick of time from God's threatened judgment on all that's wrong and destructive and hurtful in this broken world. That day will come. In the passages after this one from Joel, the prophet continues to promise that it's coming. He says, the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. But the call, the urgent appeal to you and me is that it's not too late. Just as we heard from John the baptizer in Advent, it's not too late to join in God's purposes rather than continuing to resist them. As Joel says, why should it be said among the peoples? Where is their God? So what time is it? Contrary to what you may have heard about the season of Lent, this is not really a time to fix ourselves up, to just set aside a bad habit, like a second chance at those New Year's resolutions that have already gone sideways. Now is the time, now is the time to get on board with what God is already doing and will surely do in this world, turning away the curse of destruction that has overshadowed God's good world, committing and recommitting ourselves to God's work of restoration, of justice, of peace. So this first question was, what time is it? The second question is this, but why then do we need ashes? If we're not repenting and groveling to save our skins, why the ashes? Why the songs about death, the dark clothes and somber expressions? Ashes are the aftermath of fire. In order for there to be ashes, something has to get burned up. And often when we think of ashes, we only think of what has been lost, what has been burned away. Often we think of ashes as the end. But if you've ever gone for a walk in a forest that has had a big fire a year or two ago, you have seen that ashes are not only the end. Ashes are also the beginning. Where fire has burned, new growth is springing up, enriched by the ashes. Jan Richardson says it well in her Ash Wednesday poem, Blessing the Dust. It's not a long poem, so I'm going to read the whole thing. All those days you felt like dust, like dirt, as if all you had to do was turn your face toward the wind and be scattered to the four corners or swept away by the smallest breath as insubstantial. Did you not know what the Holy One can do with dust? This is the day we freely say we are scorched. This is the hour we are marked by what has made it through the burning. This is the moment we ask for the blessing that lives within the ancient ashes, that makes its home inside the soil of this sacred earth. So let us be marked, not for sorrow, and let us be marked not for shame. Let us be marked not for false humility or for thinking we are less than we are, but for claiming what God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made, and of which, 
sorry, within the stuff of which the world is made and the stars that blaze in our bones and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudge we bear. So the second question is, why do we need ashes? Because this is the day we freely say we are scorched, even as we eagerly anticipate the blessing that lives within the ancient ashes. The third question, what does all of this sound like and look like? What does this sound like and look like? Maybe you have been puzzled, as I have, by what seems like a contradiction between our two readings from Joel and from Matthew. Joel says more than once, blow the trumpet. And Jesus says, don't blow the trumpet. Joel says, put on sackcloth, let your repentance be shown. And Jesus says, go wash your face and get your hair done. So which is it? Which is it? Does repentance and new life sound like blaring trumpets and look like ash on your forehead? Or doesn't it? I don't think there's actually a contradiction. I think the answer is both what Joel says and what Jesus says. But if it's going to be both, that will require some wisdom about how and when. Think about this. When there's news, it needs to be proclaimed. People need to hear it. And when we see that something is being burned away so that new life can emerge through the ashes, it's right and important to identify ourselves with those ashes, to take them on in a way that we can see. So like Joel, we say, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. It's good that we're gathered here tonight. It's good that we're gathered here tonight to be marked with the sign that we are scorched and waiting for new life. But Jesus warns us about getting too pleased with ourselves for having done that. I think Jesus is talking about what we in our time sometimes call virtue sig signaling. Virtue signaling is when you say or do something good and right in order to have others see you saying or doing something good and right. Social media did not create virtue signaling but it certainly fuels it. Yes, people need to know about what needs to happen in this world, but beware lest your sharing about what needs to happen in the world turns out to be more about your own righteousness than God's justice. I have not figured out a foolproof way to ensure that my proclaiming God's justice doesn't deteriorate into blowing the trumpet of my own vainglory like the hypocrites that Jesus calls out. I fall into virtue signaling sometimes. Maybe you do too. But I have a practical idea for how we might try this Ash Wednesday to thread that needle. In a few minutes, I hope that you will accept the invitation to come forward and receive the ashes, a sign of your trust in God and your dedication to what God is doing in your life and in the world. And later, when you go home, I'd encourage you to take a good, long look at your ashy face in the mirror. Study it. Internalize those ashes on your forehead. 
set it in your memory. If it will help you to remember, go ahead and take an Ash Wednesday selfie. But don't post it. Just keep it a reminder for yourself. God sees what you keep secret. That's what Jesus says. God sees what you keep secret. And then go wash your face. And set that face toward Easter. Toward the new life that God is surely bringing. And that God invites you to participate in bringing. For the sake of the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.